very keen to get some tips off you after this call, Tom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My it would be my pleasure. <laughs> well, um, thank you for sharing a little bit more about you and where you were based. But really what we're here for today is to learn a little bit more about your mental health journey. So as always, I think the best question to ask you is what has your mental health journey been so far? Um, I guess it started probably as most people's um, in my teenage years. Um, I really started to wrestle with depression and I didn't know it at the time, but anxiety as well. It's been riddled throughout my life, um, but real severe depression around 14, 15, 16. Um, and there'd been a few separations in my family and a lot of uh, disruptions and didn't really have a male role model at the time, which I think is what well, I've now come to learn is quite important. Um, and yeah, I think ended up trying to um, commit suicide when I was 16. Thankfully, was very unsuccessful at that. Um, and then I think, yeah, for a really long time after that, I think about a year after I thought I was kosher, everything was all good. Um, and I think that's when it kind of divulged into, um, a lot of alcohol, um, which is pretty synonymous with being Australian. So it didn't seem that out of the ordinary at the time. Um, and then I got into DJing for three years and touring around Australia. Um, and that came with drugs as well. Mm. So, um, mix all of that together. And I was just kind of put my mental health journey aside and kind of shelved it for a while Yeah. until uh, eventually something snapped, something gave after all the partying and um, ended up and still to this day have panic attacks every day. Um, that was quite tricky to wrestle with, still is. Um, I think that's because of the intense amount of like alcohol and drugs that yeah. you were yeah so period of time for a really long time i just blamed i just blamed the drugs and alcohol and definitely it was a um drug induced scenario but uh for, upon further reflection over the last year or so there was just always this severe underlying anxiety that was just kind of like a balloon ready to pop and mm. i was just giving it all the helium it needed to pop and yeah. uh, it just eventually did and how did it eventually pop uh <laughs> so um smoking marijuana but it was synthetic didn't know that at the time um and then i had my first panic attack after that and i don't know so if you've had a pan synthetic what's what does that mean in terms of is oh, it like right a yeah absolutely so sort of thing? it's kind of just like uh it's not grown it's like manufactured scientifically yeah. i guess it's 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 just fake it's it's it's, it's yeah, a different so it's version. like a legal high which are yeah. meant to be terrifying yeah it's, it was horrible absolutely horrible and um so that happens and i don't know if you've experienced a panic attack or oh, yeah. anyone that's anyone that's, yeah anyone that's experienced them will know that sometimes it can feel like you're having a heart attack um and mine kind of presents itself like a heart attack unfortunately so i get chest pains left arm hurts sweating um could go on and on about the different symptoms i've had one time my face went a bit droopy and i ended up in hospital for like a stroke <laughs> stroke scare but it was just oh my, my gosh. anxiety so i think um i guess what i really want to touch on on anxiety from the early stages of mental health is it took me two years for any doctor to tell me that I had a panic disorder. So I spent those two years in and out of hospital, like really regularly, like some sometimes two, three days a week, um, thinking I'm having a heart attack in the back of an ambulance. Um, healthcare being free in Australia kind of makes getting into an ambulance pretty easy. Um, and I had holotum monitors done and stress tests and everything done on my heart nobody could figure out why my heart would go from 
resting. I was really fit at the time. So mm. resting at 40 or 50 beats a minute to straight up to 140. And them together as well. And mixing them. Yeah, mixing them together. And I highly do not recommend to anyone um, on, as well as alcohol. So I had a really firm belief for a really long time that just this arbitrary number that I wasn't going to live past 23. Um, and like, I definitely lived like it um, or lived like that was my goal. And so Did I, you I kinda, ever have any moments when you were taking drugs where you thought maybe I might die? I've taken so much here. Absolutely. Yeah. So I overdosed twice, um, once from ketamine and once was someone spiced my drink. So the second one, I won't take blame for the first one. I definitely will. Um, mm. But it was weird that the second one was when I was lying in hospital and the a nurse came up to me and asked if. I was okay with death, which probably not something you should ask someone that has 150 beats per minute heart rate at rest. Um, it was it was it wasn't until it wasn't my fault that I was like, oh god, maybe this like this is stupid, yeah. um, and I need I need to change what I'm doing. I'm, there has to be something wrong here. Like just because where the industry I grew up in, everyone did it, doesn't really mean that that's my path and a path that I need to be going down. So, um, yeah, no, I definitely, when it got to the point I, with me, I have to crash and burn before I learn. Um, that's, it's been an, a, a question as old as time for me, really. Mm. Um, did my camera just turn off again? Yeah. <laughs> so basically I think at the point of overdosing, um, was a, a great, kick in the ass um yes uh, this is too far uh and yeah having a nurse tell you that are you afraid of death i think is a real you're kind of staring the down the barrel of death and i think that's been a massive theme throughout my life um but in that moment i was all alone in hospital um just me and a nurse at 2 a.m in the morning after a friend had spiked a friend at the time had spiked my drink because I said I was quitting. And I think it's a real testament to like the environment that you're in can kind of play a big role of how, of how you are. Um, I was trying to get off drugs at the time and uh, yeah, someone just put a shitload of speed in my drink and decided oh it was time for me to party. And uh, yeah, I almost went into cardiac arrest. So I think that was, that was definitely the moment I was like, okay, drugs are bad. Let's not do those anymore. Um, and it and was then, it was it as easy as just being like drugs are bad, not doing it anymore? Because obviously, yeah. So it, for me, it has for me it has been kind of like that um, until um, some recent addictions. So I got quite an, addic an addictive personality, whether that be substances or learning or work or and things like that, and it's it's difficult to manage. Um, but with uh, marijuana, it was okay. That gives me crippling panic attacks. No more. Um, and then each drug started to get ticked off because they gave me panic attacks. But it was um, as easy as just that moment of, yeah, shit, okay. I nearly died. They're like, you almost died. And then the, that kind of instilled some confidence in me moving forward, actually. And I ended up learning the difference between active and passive suicidal thoughts from that experience because um, I was like, there's just this innate desire to live in me whether or not i've pushed myself to learn that so many times in my life there's just this desire in me to keep on living and keep on moving forward so um active suicidal thoughts are obviously mm -hmm. where you attempt to do something passive is where you think about it i guess um and think about harming yourself but you kind of know you're not going to do it if that makes sense um well why do you think what do you think is the difference between those two types of people who have those thoughts i think um do you get so do you speak, know what i mean because yeah absolutely so i think through speaking to a lot of people especially recently with doing the funny side of therapy um which i'll talk about later but i think through speaking to a lot of people is that people that do have that that really active suicidal thoughts are just backed into a corner and don't really see any light um mm. and there's sometimes you 
sometimes it can't be conveyed to certain people and it's really up to them, but it just, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, whereas I think passive, almost everyone has them that I've spoken to. Like I've spoken to my parents about this. I've spoken to my grandpa, grandma, bless her soul. She's 83. I was like, nan, have you ever thought about killing yourself? And she was like, no, God, no, of course not. And I was like, so you've never once thought like, yeah, it'd be all right if I was dead right now. It's like, oh, I've thought that. And I was like, okay, so that's a passive suicidal thought. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's quite a, sometimes just a natural human thing to sometimes want to go, yeah, I'm kind of sick of this, you know? Yeah. We've um, all been there when something really bad has happened and you're just like, yeah. oh, fuck it. Why? I'd, better, I'd be better off, off not here or why do I even fucking bother? Abs- you know? Absolutely. And that is the perfect way of putting it is I think it's, it's that I'm better off not here. And I think with active suicidal thoughts, there's, um, there's, there's that thought of I'm better off not being around and somehow well, I've been there myself. You rationalize, you rationalize it, even though you shouldn't, <laughs> um, mm. and it, there could be all the evidence in the world to the contrary. And unless there's a catalyst event, um, that kind of snaps your brain out of it, um, sometimes it can go the wrong way. Um, and quite often in men, especially, so that's what I've been researching a lot is once they're to that point, it's really hard to convince them out of it. And prevention is always the best and speaking to people is always the best and different ways of that. But there does need to be some, like if, if you are to try and help someone, I guess there needs to be some form of catalyst for me. It was a specific family member that like just before I killed myself. Um, I got four younger sisters, so um, just just before it happens, I just thought about them growing up without an older brother or their their story being, um, they had this really cool brother, Tom, but he killed himself. And that's just something that they'd have to ca- carry around forever. And that outweighed that I'd be better off not being here. It's like, okay, well, mm. I have to sacrifice my happiness to be here so that they get to live a better life, sure. And that's what it started as. and then. You learn to love yourself a little bit more, and it gets a little bit easier, I guess. Yeah. Um, but there, there does, there does need to be something that kind of just snaps you, you out of it. Yeah, I, I, I think there was a concept that we spoke about. I spoke about on another podcast, and it's this whole like bigger than something bigger than you, whether that yes, be absolutely. as big as the universe, or whether that be. Um, your coffee in the morning or whether it be a person or um a place like it's having that hope or and holding on to something and i guess with people who are active suicide level they they've lost all hope and like they can't even find one thing to stay for absolutely absolutely so in um relating it to addiction i guess every every 12-step program and uh, russell brands has a great book on addiction and i'm a guy that doesn't like it's stereotypical academia type books um so i've, I've read quite a lot of them I've, like new, neuroscience area for example i love andrew huberman mm. um but there's a guy called jim quick that's just as amazing that I just don't relate to because he's not as charismatic. But there's a great book on addiction by Russell Brand, and he was in the depths of um, like heroin addiction and all these yeah, really, I, I, really horrible yeah. things, right? And he he talks about the similar thing is because I went to a Catholic school, so by nature, Catholicism was beaten out of me. I was an atheist. I had nothing, um, and mm. I struggled with the idea of a higher power and it not just being a gigantic coincidence that we're all here. Um, and it wasn't until um, a few separate events and, and listening to this book, because uh, I love audio books, I can't, can read, just doesn't digest as well. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I heard Russell kind of say, it doesn't have to be a garden. I've looked into it like first century religion. They all pretty much say the same thing. Um, so my interpretation, everyone's allowed to have their own. I just encourage people to kind of explore spirituality because I come from a very sciencey background, like prove it to me kind of thing, which you can't in this case. So mine's 
Uh, for nerds, it's kind of like midichlorians in Star Wars, like a life force that flows through. Um, and for non-nerd fans, it's kind of like Mother Nature. So it's just this innate love. Um, and some, some, some of the best things that have happened in my life of when I've let go and let things flow through me rather than trying to force it down the pipeline. And mm. I think relating it back to almost dying in the hospital you kind of have to like you are forced to let go and whatever will be will be and i could have very easily died then and other times in my life um but i think i think that first pronged my spirituality journey as well and i think there's there's a strong link between um as much as some people don't like to don't like to link the two. There's a strong, there's a strong link between spirituality and mental health, and you do Massively need to, you do need to believe that there is something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, and I would have mentioned to yourself and probably a lot of people um, that uh, pre my car crash, which I'll talk about in a second, I was a gigantic narcissist, and that was brought out of, um. Everyone asks me why. Everyone asks me why these days. Like, why were you such an asshole? Like, I cheated on girlfriends and um, very manipulative and um, smart enough to smart enough to know exactly what I was doing as well. Um, were you ever diagnosed, or do you just know that you were? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, well, I, it was it was weird because they said situational narcissism, so. A lot of, uh, I think, I don't know off the top of my head. I know for sociopath, because I've looked it up, um, that's how bad it was at one point. They're unaware of their actions. And I was completely aware. Um, and it doesn't make it any better. But I was completely aware of my own actions for 10 years of just, I wanted, I was upset at the world. And I guess I just wanted to bring everything down with me. Um but people ask me now why why I was like that, um, why why that was, and I was just a very scared little boy. That's it. That's all there is to it. I I didn't know how to tackle the world, so I had to be bigger than the world. So there could be no God. There could there was no space for anyone's love. Mm. I had to control everything, um, and I didn't have I didn't have the systems in place. Um, now I'm very fortunate to have the people that um in my family that that weren't great role male role models at the time we've kind of made amends um there's an artist in the uk called loyal Kana, and he's oh, making yeah. amends with his dad and um his song hugo i still cry every time but him making amends with his dad as an adult and just something arbitrary is riding in the car together um i think has really mended myself now but yeah, growing up, growing up with that, that was uh, really tough. I grew up in a household full of females, um, which has been fantastic because I gained emotional intelligence, which yes. not a lot of men have. Um, and it, you kind of feel like an alien having a lot of emotional intelligence as a man. Yeah. Um, but there's also ne there's pluses and negatives to everything as well. So um, definitely the the narcissism ran very very severe until uh until the car crash so um, when how many did you lose people in the process of your narcissistic behavior yeah. obviously you lost girlfriends because you were cheating on them but yes. did you lose <laughs> did you lose friends as well absolutely so um it's been what 2023 so i'd say a five year apology tour i think started the worst of it was I got to year 12, um, predating that actually, to kind of give you an idea of, uh, it's, an, it's a detachment style, I think, as well. Mum tried to ground me when I was year nine or something like that for, I don't even remember what, but this gets brought up whenever we talk about my stubbornness. And I went through my cupboards and grabbed my PlayStation and everything and chucked everything out on the side of the road except for my mattress and my pillow. And I was like, I've got nothing. You can take nothing away from me. So that was when I was like 15 or 16. Wow. And then it just got worse from there. So I like had a really good close set of close friends in high school. 
And then you, everyone has that thing at the end of high school where like, you know, you're going to lose some people. Um, most people take that in their stride. Like, I know it's very sad, but I decided to just like scorched earth policy mm. and was horrible throughout year 12. Um, so I lost, lost, lost a lot of high school friends and anyone I'm friends with now from high school, I wasn't friends with or didn't associate with in high school. It's been a blessing to um, meet them after and kind of just meet them as an adult rather than kids. And I mm. highly encourage people if you meet someone from high school not to run away and hide in the corner because it's the easiest thing to do. Um, they're adults now, so they're probably Different. all right people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in my twenties, definitely. Um, but I think I think as I got as I'm getting older, as I was starting to get older, um, it kind of protected me in a way. Um, there was there was this sense of I'm better than you, so I don't need to be in this drug den of a house. So I don't need to go on this forty eight hour, seventy two hour binge with you, or. Mm. I don't need to get associated with gang members because I'm better than that. Like the narcissism protected me in some ways as much as That's it damaged good. things, right? Um, so it, it is my whole life's been a, seeing the negatives and positives of both sides. But um, it def, the narcissism definitely got knocked out of me after after so a while. So let's go into the car crash because I'm, I'm very intrigued to hear a little yeah, bit more about yeah, this. Yeah, sure. So... I started to try and quit drinking um, on and off for two years. So uh, when I drink, nightmare. Inherited this from my mum. Sorry, mum, when you listen to this. And my sister caught the bad drinking gene as well. It's plain and simple. We are assholes. Um, really reckless. Not physical at all. Um, but really reckless. Say things we don't mean. Um, mm. That destroyed a lot of relationships over the years as well. Um, was how much were you were you drinking? Was it daily it was, or no? No, it's more binge drinking. Um, okay, and just really chasing the high highs. I think is is was a consistency throughout the throughout the years that um, I wasn't so. It was just seeing as high as I could go. Um, seeing how, how amazing it could feel. And then obviously there's negatives to that. But I think I lost more relationships through drinking um, than I did the narcissism. Um, and so I st quit, started the process of quitting around net 2019 and then COVID happens. I was living in Melbourne. We're in the worst lockdown in the world or the most, not the worst, but some places had it tough and had military and whatever. But we were the longest lockdown. Um, and I was living by myself. It was just me and my dog, Bubbles, Aww. French Bulldog, bless her soul. And um, I started Twitch streaming and I was just drinking a lot to cope, I think. And I think that's a, something a lot of people did during COVID. Yeah. And I did some really dumb shit, like shave my head bald twice and um, just- Classic just, COVID move. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And I got known on Twitch for just- being the drunk guy and then i was mm. like okay this is part of my show always making excuses so then coming out of covid i was like okay i'm gonna quit streaming i'm gonna get a real job and i was working in events um back back to the dj sphere um oh, being yeah. a... was this after the whole drug recovery as well yeah so i got back into events and i was like all right i'm calm now i know it's bad i know it's bad to do this and I think I was drinking once every three months and um I was pretty much pretty much was on the way to quitting. And then there was just one event where it was like I think it just played into my narcissism. I, I got to meet um some of my heroes and some had some had like remembered me from a few years before and it was just stroking my ego. So I was like, all right, and I was in charge of making sure they had a good time. So I was just whacking back drinks with them all night. And um, there was an after party. It was about 20 minutes away um, after the event. And I had a hotel room at the place we were at. So I could have just gone to bed. But my stubbornness, had I had to go to the after party for some reason. Um, so I hopped in the car and I don't remember too much about it. But 
I do remember I was speeding. Uh, I was with my talking to my ex girlfriend on the phone. We were like yelling at each other. Um, and then it was like a T intersection. And my very drunk brain thought it was straight and last minute realized I had to turn left and uh, it rolled six times um, and I had to crawl 40 meters to the side of the road because all I remember is I was, was upside down and undid my seatbelt. Um, then I just, I don't remember crawling 40 meters. Thankfully, I think that'd be a bit more traumatic. Um, you got but, out of the car. Yeah, yeah, I got out of the car because I thought it was going to explode. I remember that much. And I crawled what they estimated was about 40 minutes is what I was told by the police. 40 minutes? Sorry, 40 meters, 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 oh, not minutes. Right, okay. I don't know how long it took me to do it, but um, I had a fractured spine, so it probably took me a while. Um, and then I was laying on the side of the road for 40 minutes um, before a truck came. I was coughing blood. Um, I remember... I don't remember too much about it, but I remember this truck just coming out of nowhere. And at that time of year, if I had spent overnight, I would have died from hypothermia for sure. Wow. Regardless of how much blood I was losing, I would have died from hypothermia. And then this, I just remember seeing this truck, like this majestic lights. And I thought I was going to heaven actually, but a guy gets out of it. A guy, it actually drove past me and I was like, okay, well, I had a good run, mate. And then they reversed and the guy got out. And um, I remember him um, actually like just holding onto his hand, bawling my eyes out, um, just saying, please don't let me die, like over and over. And uh, I think it was half an hour till an ambulance came because we were so far away. Um, and then I don't remember 11 days. So. Just... No, thank thankfully not, but I had um, post-traumatic amnesia. So with the consensus, and it's only a recent thing, it's been a year and a half long journey of understanding this uh, brain injury I have or TBI, traumatic brain injury. Um, my frontal lobe is damaged, so my speech, emotions, and memory is pretty pretty messed up at the moment oh, and will will forever be, but acutely was at that stage so for the first 11 days i didn't remember i was too too sensitive to be taken to a rehabilitation facility and rehabilitation in the sense of with occupational health therapists and things like that to get you out in the community etc um and there was a test you had to do each day so they uh, i only remember the last day because i cheated um they give you a face they give you a bunch of names and a couple of numbers and things like that. And they'll come ask you the next day. And they leave it with you for five to 10 minutes. And I sent mum the answers because I was like sick of being in the public facility mm. with um, four different people. And I, was, I knew I was close enough to being ready to go anyway. I was like, it's been 11 days. I'm, I'm calm. I'm yeah. stable. Get me out of here. Uh, let's go to the next step. So, yeah. Uh, remember she like a research like reading up on it just before the guy came in and passed the test um and then yeah i was in the rehab facility for three weeks i believe um so what thankfully were you doing we're, in the in the rehab facility uh, a lot of memory exercises i guess um mm. and just assessing the assessing the damage to my brain a lot of re rehabilitation for walking um because that was pretty difficult um what was really weird was i could speak perfectly like i am now until the 14th day and then i couldn't uh, i started stuttering like not like a cute stutter it was like unable to talk severely brain damaged really? stutter yeah, and that lasted for, I can't remember how long, to be honest. And, that must um, have been so scary because you knew what was going on, right? And you just thought. Yeah, no, I was. I didn't think I'd ever be able to talk again. And I, nobody could tell me I could talk, was going to be able to talk again either. Um, and I, it, it's what brought me back to writing, actually, is I couldn't communicate properly. And quite an eccentric person whenever I go anywhere and, just to have that stripped away from you, the ability to talk is um, kind of something you take for granted, I guess. And mm. I've lost it a couple of times since, and now I know that 
my brain overheats like a computer. But yeah, I couldn't speak for at least a week or a week and a half. And I think the most haunting part about it all was calling my family. So I was during COVID and I wasn't allowed to have visitors in the hospital. So I was doing this all by myself, similar to the um, overdose thing. It's like you've made your bed, you've got to lie in it. And um, My family members would just hysterically cry because uh, I am just a very loud, doesn't shut up kind of guy. Um, and there I was, un- like very clearly damaged and unable to speak. Oh my gosh. Um, and that, that was really hard because it's like you're putting your family through something that was ultimately your fault, right? Um, and then there was also a really tough day that I'm having a really tough time actually writing in my book at the moment. Um, I've had severe light sensitivity. So right now I've got a light in front of me and I can see and it's all good. But for about a year, I had severe light sensitivity. I was so bad at the time in hospital. um, And I don't challenge anyone to ever do this. I had to be in darkness for 24 hours. So complete darkness, no, no phone, no iPad. No music, just me and my thoughts and pitch black for 24 hours. And um, that really, really tests your mental capacity, I would say. Um, And I thought about a lot of, I thought about a lot of things while I was in there. Um, Definitely, definitely some passive suicidal thoughts came up. Um, But I think more, more than anything, just the, I think towards the end of it, once I start, once I settled in and once the acute, what the fuck is going on, um, yeah. went away, it was a real severe appreciation for people um, and appreciation for what I had um, and have. Because uh, at the time I was living in a great area and I, I was always like, oh, this is happening to me and taking like a kind of a victim approach to everything instead of a proactive approach to everything. Um, Kind of once you have everything stripped back and you're forced to assess what you do have, you become very appreciative very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So when you, so after this experience, obviously the speech issue. Yes. How long did it, so how that lasted and then you just kind of came out of it. Was that what happened? Yeah, it was, um, I remember there was a nurse that um, I wouldn't come out of my room unless a specific nurse was working. So uh, shout out to all the nurses out there that don't get enough credit. But um, she really, really, really comforted me saying like, I don't know, just helping me come to terms with the fact that it may never happen again, may never happen again but mm. I've got this talent of writing and I'm blessed to have that. And this way, if I'll always be able to communicate in some way and I remember her coming in with um Stephen Hawking's videos and she just asked me the question she was like do you think this guy's dumb and I was like no and she was like do you think he's unsuccessful I was like no <laughs> she was like so what do you got to worry about and I was like oh fair enough yeah absolutely and then yeah I did just randomly I remember I came out of it one day um I, from memory her name was Jill and I ran definitely way too fast for someone with a fractured back down the hallway of the rehabilitation facility and I was like Jill I can speak I can speak I can speak I can speak and I was like give me anything give me tell you give me say anything (laughs) um and I was I was so I was so happy um oh were they all shocked it must have been yeah absolutely because they went from damn this this kid's like I was in a rehab facility with people on their way out definitely so because of COVID, facilities were tight and I got mixed in with Alzheimer's patients and dementia patients and pretty much geriatric people and I was the youngest person by like 40, 50 years. Wow. Like this poor kid's like never going to speak again. And then here comes this weird ginger guy running down the hallway screaming. <gasps> Amazing. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment, honestly, and one I'll never forget. And yeah, it is a testament to those those like I've never seen her since. I'll probably never see her again. But very high impact on my life. It's just the act of kindness that I'll never forget. And 
after you got your voice back, which is amazing, um, mm. what what happened from then? Uh, yeah, so I got out of um, rehab, then kind of, uh, yeah, Jesus. I, so I went to stay with my dad. That was a challenging time because we butt heads like no tomorrow, but um i had to go back to hospital a couple of times um for my back fracture and at one stage uh, i had a stomach bleed from the medication so that was pretty frustrating and there was a couple of times where my speech just went away again so i couldn't speak for two days or whatever and it's happened up until recently like now it's a day maximum so it's fine it's whatever um, but that is, it's, it is a really frustrating thing. It's like, it's just a really good reminder that you've damaged your brain. Um, one day you'll just not be able to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Like now I know what triggers it. It's, it's, it's a emotional stress and severe overworking. Um, and through a lot of the research that I've done, um, it, we, we can't say for certain which way, which way it went. Cause I've been diagnosed with PTSD from the accident and almost dying from an overdose um, and have night terrors and sometimes hallucinations and things about the car crash while I'm awake. Um, but that can, that can trigger similar things. So memory loss and. Um, so yeah. Is it the brain injury or is it the PTSD? And that's been the, that's been the golden question for the last year and a half. So um, that's been quite difficult, but. The interesting thing is, um, didn't quit drinking after that. You didn't. No, I did not. Um, I did for I did for a while. And that surely the drink whilst your brain is recovering from this accident. Yeah, wasn't so the best thing. It, I didn't drink for three months, and then I asked the doctor, "Can I drink again?" And they're like, "Yeah, go for it. You're good." And I was like, "Okay, sweet, medically cleared." all good. I won't drink that often, but I can still have a drink. And, um, mum moved me to Malaysia where I am now. Um, she'd lived there for four years and she was like, all right, well, I'm putting you under my supervision, but it had been cleared by the doctor. So she didn't really have a leg to stand on me. I'm in my mid twenties. I'm going to make my own decisions still. Um, and she encouraged me to, so I came to Malaysia jobless, um, just focusing on uh, just focusing on my health and mom yeah. could see I was really miserable just doing that. Like I'm someone that needs to be very proactive and curious and needs to always be doing at least something. Uh, she's like, why don't you get a part-time job? And I was like, okay, sounds, sounds reasonable. Um, and not that um, she was asking me to pay for anything. It was just, like do something you're going insane yeah um and it really it really all happened very quickly um that went from the idea of getting a part-time job to being the head of marketing globally for a company and then two jobs wow. at once and then uh it went from having very little money my whole life to a decent amount very quickly and mm. I think it re-kicked in the narcissism and the drinking started again um, and I remember going back to Melbourne and I've always had a rule my whole life and it's hard to believe from the really stupid stories I have of drinking and everything like that um, and drugs I've never sad drank in my life until this one day in Melbourne where I I was having the shittest time. I don't specifically remember what it was about, but I remember the events that happened. Um, I ended up drinking for 48 hours straight. On your own? Yeah, on my own. Yeah, absolutely. I went to a pub, tried to get into a fight, but like not fight them. Them hit me. Mm. So I was just being a dick with my words purposely. I got kicked out of the world's hardest to get kicked out of pub by like my neck. Um, and ended up calling my dad over, telling him he was a shit dad, said some horrible things to my ex-girlfriend. Um, 
And yeah, that was the last time I drank. Uh, that was last July, I think. Um, so it's been a year and a bit sober. Um, and that's that, I think being fully sober. So I don't drink caffeine now either. And it's cutting down things bit by bit and getting healthier. But that wasn't some, and I quit, I smoked cigarettes for a long time too. So I quit that just before I quit drinking. Um, and vaping as well. Vaping is horrible for you to anyone listening. It is yeah. not better than smoking. It no, doesn't it's matter. Not. Doesn't matter how pretty the packaging is or how good the advertising is, it's terrible for you. Yeah. But um that was a hard that was a hard process um to give up drinking. Being Australian and I'm sure it's similar in the UK, it's very Drink ingrained, culture. right? It's it's go to the pub with the boys, it's have a have a beer at the footy, it's Yeah. It's just I mean, I've been drinking since I was like fifteen. So the idea how of you how did you cut down? If there's anyone listening, what would be your tips i think i i've spoken to a lot of people about this because a lot of i've worked a lot with people with addiction since um i think i think you've just got to weigh it up a lot of people when they come to me uh near rock bottom or at rock bottom but don't know how to quit and it's you really got to take an honest look and you got to be ready to do it as well. I could give you all the tips in the world and you can read all the self-help books on addiction mm -hmm. and everything in the world, but you really have to get there yourself. And sometimes that is hitting rock bottom and some people are really lucky and can catch themselves beforehand. But it's, all right, if I take it away, what am I losing? So mm -hmm. for me, I'm losing a high high, which is, which is shit. Um, everyone loves the high high but then i'm gaining the not having the hangovers so my hangovers would last um a day and i'd have a panic attack pretty much the whole day but i'd still keep drinking Ugh. a lot of a lot of stupidity there but um it is it is like what are you losing so and how hard is it to gain um gain the tools you need to not drink so a lot of people drink because they're socially awkward for example and a couple of drinks gets them in the right mood to network or get them through a podcast or whatever it is right um but there's a lot of ways to turn introversion into extroversion and charm and there's a lot of different ways you can learn that and there's there's a book that really helps me while i was in hospital there's two amazing ones one's um can't hurt me by david goggins which is a real it's a real man man's book it's like be a spartan don't like nothing will break you kind of thing and it's he has this metaphor called the cookie jar so um he basically it's the worst times in your life are like a cookie so there was one time i snuck out of my grandpa's house to go dj in a club when i was 16 i got stuck um there was no bus back and i had to walk for like three hours in the middle oh. of the night freezing cold remember wanting to break into a convenience store to like just get water oh. so anytime i'm on a long walk i think of this cookie jar and i deep dig deep into the, that and i'm like okay it's not as bad as that time i was i love that it's never it was not that bad at that time i was uh doing that right um there are other things with work it's like the worst day at work you can possibly imagine it's like i got through worse than that so that's the that's the cookie jar thing. Um, and then mm. the other one that was really important um, to counteract that because you can go too far down the um, I'm a strong, strong man path um, was Green Lights by uh, Matthew McConaughey. And um, his voice was kind of one of like that of an angel, I guess, while I was in hospital, to be honest. It was very soothing and you know, lighthearted and everything's going to be okay. but um just it's it's his way of explaining giving giving up control of your life or just recognizing you don't have one and some things that are perceived to be a green light which is just like a straight go we all love green lights we just want everything to be green all the time mm -hmm. and some perceived green lights are actually red lights and then they're, they're terrible and some red lights that you may not get this job but that's led to this other thing you get to do in your life there's your green light there 
um, it's an amazing book. And those, those kind of things, I think it was really built resilience, but also, um, just, just a completely different view to Changing anything I've ever heard before. a little bit, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so how has your life changed since you've been sober? Okay. So the first six months sucked. <laughs> Why did you get stuck? wasn't very fun to be honest um yeah it's it's very different it's very hard because it's pretty much ingrained in australian culture drinking um it's very hard to stop it's you like my family still drinks um it feels weird like you're the only person not drinking some some people aren't okay with you not drinking they think it's odd going on dates can be really weird because they mm. want to drink but you don't drink and this weird, like, what do we do here situation? I'm like, well, you mm. can drink, it's fine. Um, but after a while, the way I explain it is kind of, I'll try and explain it in a way that audio listens, listeners can handle as well, but I'll also use my hands. So, like, when you drink, your happiness kind of rises to, like, 150%. Um, and then you go down, just as anyone would, but you go a bit further down as well after the hangover. Whereas when you're sober the whole time, you don't get the elated highs. You still have the lows. But over time, it just starts gradually building like 10% at a time, I would say. And your overall happiness and contentness with life is higher than someone that would drink often. Um, you're, not, you're not chasing those highs. You're more appreciative for things around you. You're happy to walk your dog. You're happy to see your mom. You're happy to jump on a podcast you're happy to you're happy to build your business and work you know um instead of waiting till friday to come and yeah get smashed with your work friends you know yeah and i also think the amount of time wasted on a hangover and the plans i know personally that when i've been in periods where i've been drinking a lot i just cancel on plans all the time Absolutely. There's so many, uh, there's so many missed opportunities, so many beautiful things you miss being hungover. <laughs> yeah, it's a waste. Yeah. So, um, so obviously we've spoken about a lot about your past and sort yeah. of, but, but what about now? Like, how are you doing now? How am I doing now? Good question. Um, uh, great compared to then. Um, yeah. so I did end up um founding my companies which is fantastic and and what are those companies one's a digital marketing agency called luca digital um we got to work with some uh, got to work with people i've never never even dreamed of like logitech and samsung and things like that um LinkedIn. i have a talent agency i uh I have so many little side quests going on now that I've got all this. I call it free time because it's time I would have spent hungover. Like if you accumulate all the days that I would have spent hungover or drunk, it was probably three or four months of the year. Yeah. So now I've got three or four months of the year back. I've Amazing. just got so many different side quests. Um, I think like so two weeks ago uh, was the first time in a year I had uh, PTSD attacks. Um, and for someone, it really challenged, I think it was just after I messaged you about the podcast, actually, and it's not because of that, don't worry, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think for someone that speaks about, uh, mental health so often, it was very difficult, um, going through that again, I felt very weak. I felt very angry. I felt cheated. Um, cause I have, a life coach, a psychiatrist. I got a pretty much a whole team behind me, um, trying to keep the ship steered. And, um, that, that was, that was very difficult. And thankfully my life coach, the absolute angel that she is, um, and just on touching on talking about the past, a lot of psychologists only talk about the past, um, and you don't really move forward. So I was in therapy for a really long time. Then I got a life coach and she was like, we're going to stop talking about your past. You know why you're traumatized? And I was like, I do very much. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, she was like, we're just going to talk about now and moving forward. And I've honestly, yeah. honestly grown so much more as a person. And the funny side of therapy only started because of Carol. Um, so what but, is the funny side of therapy for the listeners? So Yeah, they... absolutely. So um, that is, well, it started because, first of all, it's a newsletter, it's a blog, um, it eventually be its own podcast, um, but just building out the framework. But a friend of a friend uh, killed themselves. And um, I've been raising money for men's mental health since I was 16. So 10 years and raised 60 odd thousand dollars, I think in total. But wow. for the last couple of years, I'd kind of dropped off checking on what's going on. And um, this happened again. And it was the ninth friend this person had had that had killed themselves in a year. And I was like, that's too many. Like, that's unnatural. So. I looked at the stats and they've they've grown significantly uh, since I last checked and it's following my age as well, if that makes sense. So as I'm getting older, the band of people killing themselves is still my age. Mm. I'm not out of the age range and now it's 24, maybe a bit younger, to 45, 50-year-old males are by far the highest amount that kill themselves. And um, to be honest, and it made me really angry. <laughs> uh, that was my yeah. first. That was my first response to it. I was like, "Fuck me!" Like I thought we were progressing, right? Like uh, we're, we're meant to be so much more understanding of mental health in Western society. Not so much in Asian cultures. It's still a little bit behind from living here and experience. Um. So I was just yeah, really angry. So I think. Amongst living here uh, in Malaysia and it being a little bit less progressive on mental health and um, men's mental health being in the state that it is and people like Andrew Tate popping up, which is, you know, I don't blame anyone for following him. It's just lost guys with no one to look to. And there's a guy that claims he knows the answer. That's all there yeah. is. Um, and you're from the UK and have American listeners as well. So the best example of po positive masculinity that I've seen represented in any form of media over the last, for probably my whole life, is Ted Lasso, um, the TV show. And it's it's all about believing, but men are quite different to women in the way that they need to be treated in therapy uh, for the most part. So someone like myself, having four sisters and growing up in a fairly emotional household, I can do traditional therapy quite easily. Yeah, um, but not because whereas, you have emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, no, no shame to my friends, but they're a bit lacking on the emotional intelligence side. Um, and so I started. I started this newsletter as, and and kind of as I've as iterations have been coming out um I did I did something that I thought was really basic it was just here's the different types of therapy and here's just my minor steps that you can dabble into and I while I was putting it out I was like this is so intro like this is kind of pointless why am I doing it but it's one of my most well-received things by men specifically mm -hmm. like oh tom i picked up this stoic app and i started meditating and i was like oh yeah well like that's cool like yeah didn't uh, this meditation thing everyone preaches about it and you see like your white girls on instagram and they got their wellness mm -hmm. things and it's just not for me and i'm like okay well if this stoic thing works for you then that's cool awesome um and it just so I mentioned before, um, writing a book, it's through my experience of crashing the car till now and both the professional and life lessons I've learned throughout. Wow. Um, How far are you through writing that book? Not far enough. <laughs> um, my, my life coach has given me a hard deadline of a year and a half. Um, cause I, I avoid it like the plague. It's, it's hard to write. Um, but necessary, I think, um, for what I'm, what I'm trying to achieve. So I guess, I guess ultimately I'd like to see the needle tipped 
at least one way or the other uh, towards the positive side mm. of um, being a positive male role model. So I was in this is was probably the how it's how it originally started before the catalyst was um I was speaking to Carol, my life coach, about not having a male role model. Um and wanting to seek out a mentor, which is something a lot of people do in business. Yeah. Um and she was like, Why can't you be your own mental male male, uh, male mentor? And I was like, What are you talking about? Like how how is that possible? And she's like, Well, what are you looking for in a male mentor? And I was like, um, wisdom and emotional intelligence and um, someone to guide me and mm. make decisions. And she was like, you kind of do all of that yourself. And I was like, okay, sure. It was very hard to swallow. Um, and she was like, it kind of seems like it's just what you want to give. It's what you want to give out. And I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's an attempt. My ambition with everything is to go as far as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it delusional ambition. I have. I that. Um, and I think, I think a real lot of really successful people talk about it. Like when your friends and family think it's so crazy, it's not going to work. Yeah. You yeah. still do it anyway. Yeah. And, it, and if you look at a lot of high performing people or just, successful people whether it's artists or actors or business people or coaches or whatever um they have this delusional ambition so i was like i want to stick to that um sometimes you just have to block out the noise and just do yeah just be delusional if that's what it takes to get yeah, there absolutely and and i'm content with being i've got i've got someone that um reached out to me recently that uh said that I've helped change his life quite a lot through my writing because I was sending it to people before sending my writing to people before I started the newsletter. I was just too scared to put it out. And I was like mm-hmm. maybe eight people I'd send it to. Mm-hmm. Um and he went back to I, I had a this person that um had nine of his friends kill himself. He was a he was addicted to pills, he was drinking, um going nowhere and he dropped out of high school previously and since has gone back and done his GED and going to community college and we have like a call once or twice a week. So if that's, as, if that's as far as, if that's, that's as far incredible. as my reach takes me, that's fine. Um, but I'd that's like incredible. to do that at scale, I guess. Um, so is the newsletter free or do, yeah. is it paid? Yeah, absolutely. So free free newsletter um, comes out every Monday. Um, can be serious topics sometimes. Can be as silly as I think two weeks ago we had decoding dreams, and then last week was mental health and pop culture. Um, and, um, if there's any listeners that would like to subscribe to your newsletter, how would they do that? Uh, it's the funny side of therapy.beehive.com, but that's complicated. So if you just go the funny side of therapy on Instagram, all the links to everything are there. Amazing. Um, well, that sounds all very interesting and I'm actually going to subscribe myself. I didn't realize they sound like very, very interesting. I didn't realize you have a newsletter. They sound like very interesting topics. Um, but nearing to the end of the podcast now mm. we've been speaking for an incredibly long period of time which that's, that's my got, problem you've got a great story Thank um you. you're a very wise man and i think you. you could lend <laughs> some advice um to the listeners so yeah as always if there is somebody listening to this right now who is struggling in some way or another what is the number one piece of advice that you would give them so there is something there's a there's a little cartoon that i show people um and it's especially when they're in the pits of hell and if you can imagine there's just a little people might have seen it on instagram going around recently but there's just a bee saying that they're trapped in the corner and their lives going wrong and it's all horrible and um 
it's just these three different pictures of this bee just no way out there's absolutely nothing and then there's a bee next to it that just opens up a door and it's like have you tried this way there is literally always another way and sometimes sometimes that is changing your environment sometimes that is letting go of a friend that you know is toxic um sometimes it's taking that really painful step to get through that door or sometimes it's just being open to seeing that door um and i think that is the number one piece of advice if you are if you are suicidal obviously go see a therapist first and foremost they'll help you a lot more than i can but um just be open to receiving life in a different way and there is always a way out of it and it may not be the most pleasant and you may have to go through a little bit of shit to get there but on the other side it's always always a rainbow if you let there always another door yeah always another door and you'll keep going through those doors well that is incredible advice tom thank you um I've loved speaking to you today. It's getting very late in Malaysia. Must be. It is. It is. It's time to hit a bar and drink mocktails. Love it. <laughs> Great for the mocktails, not, yeah. not, not the mocktails. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on here. And My pleasure. I wish you the best of luck with the book. I will leave all of your um, social thank you. description in the description so anyone can go and have a look at your page and follow your story. and buy your book whenever it does come out yes it is uh it is quite a long story and unfortunately has to be put into a book to get <laughs> through it all um but and i really appreciate your time and letting me speak about uh what's going on and especially touching on the men's the men's side of things as well yeah it's very very important and i appreciate you being open enough to share your experience today my pleasure thank you Thanks so much. I just realized that I've got another call and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, no, that's okay. I was like, oh no. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, you know, like those three hour podcasts, I could do one of those easy without like even. Oh, you could. You have such such a long story, but it's really interesting. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank Um, you for having me. Got some editing to do. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Good luck with it's that. It's anything to do to make it sound 